it's really special that we have that that climate office here in the state climatology kind of office here um, at ETSU. It's pretty rare to have it at a more of a regional public university. Most of the time state climate offices are at state agencies like Department of Natural Resources or Environment and Conservation or oftentimes they're at an ag school or the flagship ag school. Welcome to Primary Sources, a podcast produced by East Tennessee State University that highlights the important research happening at ETSU. Joining us today on Primary Sources is Dr. Andrew Joyner. He is an associate professor in ETSU's Department of Geosciences. Dr. Joyner earned both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in geography. In 2013, he earned a PhD in geography with a minor in disaster science and management from Louisiana State University. He specializes in a range of areas, including climatology and environmental change. His recent publications include journal articles about the devastating central U.S. winter event of February 2021 and climate change impacts on red panda habitats in Southeast Asia. Dr. Joyner is also the state of Tennessee's official climatologist, something we'll talk about again in a moment. His expertise on this front is well recognized. PBS quoted Dr. Joyner in an article about the United States enduring the second highest number of billion-dollar weather and climate disasters on record in 2021. Dr. Joyner also contributed to a national report about historical and future climate trends in Tennessee for the 21st century. He has been teaching and conducting research at ETSU since 2013. Dr. Joyner, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, OJ. You earned each of your college degrees in geography. Tell us about what drew you to this field. Geography is incredible. Uh, So if you like a lot of different things, a huge variety of subjects, then that's the field for you. And that's how I was, uh, certainly as a kid and and going into college. um, I had a, a real strong interest in maps. And so geography was a natural place. But then once I got into the field, I learned that you could really study almost anything you wanted to and apply it to geography. Where things happen, when they happen, why they happen, geography is kind of the core of, of those questions. And so it's a field where you can really ask those questions um, wh- no matter what you're interested in. That's fascinating. A lot of your work focuses on climate disasters. Connect that for us to geography. What helped push you toward that topic? Sure. So you'd mentioned my background was three degrees in geography um, with a, a concentration or a minor there in disaster science. Um, and so a lot of my interest along the way has been related to climatology and weather and why things happen, when they happen, um, you know, how long an event happens, how many people are impacted by that event, these kind of socioeconomic issues. All of these are kind of geographical in nature. Um, my master's degree focused on medical geography. So I even have a kind of a public health component there that can dive into the climate side as well looking at heat health issues. That's a really big issue uh, across the world right now. We've had a number of heat waves this summer um, and a lot of other state climate offices and other climatologists have been working on heat health issues. And we've done some research on that as well. Um, So climate disasters, I mean, that covers a big, broad kind of array of things. So uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, I mentioned heat, flooding events. We were heavily involved in certifying the new state record last year uh, for a 24 hour rainfall event in Tennessee. It was just over 20 inches of rain that occurred less than 24 hours in uh, Waverly and McEwen, Tennessee. Devastating, killed multiple people, had a huge impact on that community, and it was by far the new record. And, and we were the kind of the lead authors on, on that report. Uh, and so those kind of things, you know, where things happen, who was impacted by that, 
those are all critical questions with climate disasters and really trying to understand those disasters moves us closer to helping people understand their risk and trying to mitigate that risk. You are the official climatologist for the entire state of Tennessee. That means that ETSU is playing a really critical role in climate research in Tennessee. Talk a little bit about the research you do in this capacity. Sure. So it is. It's really special that we have that that climate office here in the state climatology kind of office here um, at ETSU. It's pretty rare to have it at a more of a regional public university. Most of the time, state climate offices are at state agencies like Department of Natural Resources or Environment Conservation, or oftentimes they're at an ag school or the flagship ag school. So Western Kentucky University and University of North Alabama are similar to us. They both host their state climate offices. It's so special that we have it here. And we're a really new office where we only became official in January 2021, although we've been the unofficial state climate office since 2016. So we've really been working on this for a while and trying to serve the state. So being the state climate office is really about climate data and climate services, not so much activism or things like that, but providing information and data for policymakers, for decision makers, for researchers, for the general public, so that they can have the best information available to them to make better decisions. And so that's really what, what was missing in Tennessee before we established this office. And it's a core goal of what we do now and what we want to do moving forward, which I'll, I'll probably talk about in here in a bit. Yeah, that's incredible. You've touched on this a bit, but for you, talk a bit about how important it is that ETSU gets to house this, this, the state's climate office. What does it mean for the university? I mean, I think it puts ETSU at the forefront of climate research in the state. We, I like to call our office and, and really ETSU the hub of climate data and climate services in the state. When people have questions from state agencies, they are definitely coming to us to ask those questions and to get answers. We're working a whole lot with TEMA, the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency, on hazard mitigation planning, on climate risk assessments, on a wide variety of other kind of goals working with Department of Environment and Conservation on a variety of issues as well, related to air monitoring and, and flooding. Department of Ag, we have some issue, uh, things that we're doing with them, certainly going forward as we try to improve our weather monitoring with products that we can provide to them to, to kind of improve their understanding for various kind of applications in the field. Wow. Do you have any new research that you're working on now that you'd like to talk about? There's a couple of things. We have a student doing some research on what we're calling nanoclimatology, which technically hasn't been defined yet. So there's microclimatology, which a lot of people associate with maybe urban heat islands and, and that kind of scale, maybe a little smaller. Nanoclimatology is this idea that there could be a very small scale or small, fine scale climatology going on. And he, he's focusing on waterfalls. And so he's looking at waterfalls in our area and how far away from the waterfall there is less and less of an impact from that waterfall, from the water, from the moisture, from the temperature of the water. And how does that impact the ecosystem around the waterfall? It's really interesting. And there's a lot of applications for heat health with that. So there's interesting study in Charleston that hasn't been published yet, but the South Carolina and North Carolina state climate offices are, are looking into different sections of Charleston, South Carolina, different streets, north facing, south facing, different street surfaces and how different temperatures are just one street over, one block over. That's really nanoclimatology. And so working on that, trying to define that field, certainly here with waterfalls, but there's a lot of applications for it. Um, Northeast Tennessee is the driest part of Tennessee. A lot of people may not know that, but we're, it's not really been defined as a rain shadow, and it's not technically what we think of as a rain shadow, but it's a type of rain shadow. And so there's some research we're doing on how do we define this kind of drier area, and why is it that way? 
You know, how much does the topography of the mountains, how much of an impact does it have on that? And so we're also doing tons of kind of applied research. Around, I mentioned hazard mitigation planning earlier. We write hazard mitigation plans. What these are, they're FEMA-approved plans that give a broad assessment of your risk and vulnerability for a community. So counties and states are required to have these to get post-disaster funding. And so there's millions, perhaps billions of dollars tied up in uh, writing these plans and making sure that they are accurate with very specific mitigation strategies. You know, do we need to build a larger culvert to prevent flooding in this specific community? Do we need to redo our building codes in this area? Do we need to have shelter, uh, storm shelters in this location because we see more tornadoes? You know, all of those components are part of hazard mitigation planning, which is kind of combining research with the application side. And so it's, it's not just traditional journal article type research. That's incredible. Thank you. As we close out this episode, let's talk a bit about the future of climate research. What do you think is most needed from climatologists like yourself at this time? I mean, the bi- probably a lot of climatologists will say the same thing, but I know specifically in Tennessee, the biggest thing that we need is more data. And so that's, that's maybe a, a vague response, but we have a very specific plan in place to get that in Tennessee. A lot of other states, 35 or 36 states, have what are called mesonets, which are mesoscale uh, weather networks. And so the idea is that they're really high resolution, research grade weather stations, 10 meter towers with sensors, temperature, rainfall, all kinds of different sensors, soil temperature and soil moisture sensors, five different depths into the ground at basically at each county in a lot of these states. And so our goal in Tennessee is to have 95 of these stations across the state, at least one in every county and have those hopefully up and running within the next few years. And so we're seeking funding for that, uh, working with some state agencies on how we can get that and how we can get repetitive or annual funding to fund a staff to run something like that, to have extremely high quality weather monitoring data that will also help us understand our longer term climate in Tennessee and in other places. And so we're really missing out on that. And in a sense, we're flying blind in Tennessee with understanding what our climate risks are because we have so few high quality weather stations across the state, especially when you're looking at these rainfall events that are high frequency or high, short, short duration, high intensity events. And so what's meant by that, you could have a six inch rainfall. If you have a weather station that records daily, which most do, did that six inches fall across the whole day or did it fall in one hour? That makes a huge difference as to whether this was a major flood event or kind of a minor flood event. Six inches an hour is a huge amount of water. When we were looking at the Waverly flooding, they consistently saw over about a three to four hour period, four inches per hour. We, we may not have known that if we didn't have a weather station nearby that was actually recording hourly. Uh, and so the data that we'll be able to get from these mesonet stations uh, will record five minutes, but we can actually dynamically change the sampling rate down to three seconds. And so Kentucky, they have a fantastic mesonet. We'd model ours after theirs. They were able to dynamically change their sampling rate during the tornado outbreak last December to three seconds and pick up on extreme wind events right before their towers were destroyed by the tornadoes. And so we want the ability to do that, work with our National Weather Service offices. They would benefit greatly, increased our improved forecasting, and ultimately saving lives and minimizing our loss to property. Dr. Joyner, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Primary Sources. Our theme music was created by students of Martin Walters, a member of ETSU's Department of Music. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with friends and colleagues.